0: Hey guys, this is Matthew Pfeiffer with mattpfeiffercoaching.com. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Toxic to Triumph. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to a good friend and colleague, Dr. Joan Samuels Dennis, about forgiveness. Dr. Joan is a forgiveness therapist and a best-selling author out of Toronto, Canada. Even though it seems very counterintuitive, it's important for our own recovery for us to forgive those who have abused us and have treated us wrong going to go into all the reasons why in this episode, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation. I will talk to you soon. Well, hello, Dr. Joan, welcome to Toxic to Triumph.
1: Thank you, Matt, it's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us where you're, where you're calling in from and um, introduce yourself to the audience if you don't mind.
1: Yes, so I am in Brampton, Ontario, which is just north of Toronto, uh, that most of your listeners might know, Toronto, Canada. Um, I am a nurse psychotherapist, um, so have been working with clients for uh, over four years now, um, working from a transformational perspective, uh, looking at life lessons that come out of our most painful moments and how we actually harness the wisdom that is hidden in those moments to help people overcome things like depression or anxiety or PTSD uh, and other things like that.
0: Wow, so you're right along the same lines of um, the to- the topics and the difficulties that and the struggles that a lot of my clients and a lot of my listeners deal with with PTSD and with depression and I mean all those all those symptoms that you just mentioned anxiety. Um, people who listen to this listen to this podcast typically struggle with when they're coming out of a toxic relationship. Have you? dealt with a lot of toxic relationships in your practice and with people that you've dealt with in the past?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of times we tend to think of toxic relationships as just being part of an intimate relationship. But we have toxic relationships in our families. Uh, Some of our most toxic relationships often begin with our parents. And what we often don't recognize is that we go through a cycle of basically repeating the pain that we experience in some of those early relationships. So most of our mental health issues begin uh, in childhood and early adolescence. And so much of those experiences that lead to mental illness uh, are actually occurring in our homes. And oftentimes we don't think about that, but oftentimes they can also be um, occurring in schools. They can be occurring where we are, you know, participating activities, like sometimes we don't even consider churches as spaces where we have toxic relationships. So right. yes, I deal with people who are married, who are in partnerships that have toxic relationships Relationships, but I tend to spread the toxicity out, and I go to the root cause because it's the root cause that actually establishes those patterns that allow us to be blindsided in a lot of ways as we enter those toxic partnerships that are really replaying a pattern that was established much much earlier.
0: Right. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's amazing. I think you hit the nail on the head. That so many so many of our other spaces can be toxic like you know people don't think of the the church you know of a church or a place of worship that that can also be toxic I mean we go to a place of worship or uh, our church you know to heal ourselves and sometimes we run into a situation where that can be just as toxic as our family or our relationship to begin with
1: yeah and because there is so much power Um, in the spiritual elements, uh, because we believe, especially in the church, that all people are good, um, that oftentimes we're blindsided. So when there is toxicity, where there is spiritual abuse, oftentimes we don't even recognize it as such. And that's the challenging part.
0: Right. So, um, the reason why I had you come on was, um, You know, obviously you are a forgiveness therapist and that's um, kind of where, that's kind of where you've, you've hung your or at least that's where I've known you to, to kind of hang your hat. Um, And it's something that you've really helped me with when I was uh, at one point in time when I was struggling. And I'll be honest with you when, when you first, you know, I came to you and and confided in you in a situation I was going through and um, you let me know that I needed to forgive someone. And uh, my first thought in the back of my mind was like you can you could take this forgiveness and you can shove it because in my for me forgiveness at that point in time was I felt like forgiveness is what got me in trouble with the abuser to begin with because I was overly forgiving, and i yeah. didn 't realize that there needed to be a line and there needed to be a boundary where I can forgive someone and I can also not allow for them to be a part yeah. of my life anymore, you know yeah. so uh, let's start out with why forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so important and why is it so vital to someone's recovery when they're coming out of a toxic relationship?
1: Well, you know, one of the things um, that I think everyone can agree with is that uh, we're just, we are made um, to release from the pain that we experience through a forgiveness journey and process. Um, it's embedded in something that's humanistic. So there's not one person on the planet who can say they haven't been hurt by something. I mean, unless you have been so sheltered and protected and come into a world where your parents, you know, were absolutely perfect, you're not shielded. Unless you have gone into an environment or a community that knows how we are to value and treat one another, it's oftentimes that those um those things that you encounter are gonna hurt you. But the one thing that all humanity is called to do, and the one thing that heals us, is forgiveness. So I have been working as a forgiveness therapist for the last four years. Before that, I was a professor at at a university here in Toronto, and I was really looking for that thing that could help people overcome things like PTSD, depression, and anxiety, as I've mentioned before. And... In search of that thing, I went through all the different measures, cognitive behavioral therapy. I went through all the traditional models that you can think of to treat these ailments. And then I arrived at this particular uh, method of forgiveness, which I call a conscious Christ-like forgiveness process, because it actually asks us to think about how we want humanity to be. But in our everyday experiences, we're experiencing humans who aren't the way that we want them to be. So the forgiveness, uh, when we look at it as a process, has three parts. Forgiveness of the other, but learning how you have now duplicated that same action towards yourself, towards other people, and then eventually towards God. And it is in this trifold way of looking at the thing that has been done, that you have the power to stop the pattern that was established in your most painful moment.
0: Wow, wow. Now, now with that being said, I, I remember there was a conversation you and I had that when you're, when you're holding on to, when you... Are unable to forgive someone. You're actually holding on to something that actually does not belong to you. You're holding on to a power that does not that doesn't belong to you. You're yeah um I you know I, I'm you know I may not be wording it the way that you yeah I may not be articulating it the way that you you articulated it to me. But uh, you're holding on to something that doesn't belong to you. You are and and you you think that you have power. You're trying to hold on to a power, but you really yeah. Really it's it's holding you back. It's setting you back. Can you speak on that a little bit further?
1: Yeah. So, um there is uh Richard Rohr. I'm going to refer to Richard Rohr's work. If you don't know who he is, he has written a book called The Universal Christ, but he also talks about the false self and the true self. And there's others who have spoken about the false self and the true self. Uh, People like uh, Thomas Keating, who has done some great work around centering meditation. Uh, They all talk about the true self, false self. So I also talk about that in a slightly different way. And I use some science to back this up. Um, So there are some articles, you can go and look this up about 30 years ago, we discovered that chimpanzees have these brain cells called mirror neurons. And we also have these brain cells called mirror neurons. What these brain cells allow us to do is to step It is our source of empathy. So we think it's our control center for empathy. What does empathy empathy mean? It means that I can step into another person's shoe. I can understand the perspective where they're coming from, and I can have sympathy. I can empathize with their position. Okay, so I'm going to suggest that this operates in a positive way and a negative way. In our most painful experiences, imagine a child who is being beaten. Who is being sexually abused? Imagine a child who is being, you know, emotionally abused. What we do is we step into the person's frame of being. So we, it's almost like we have to enter a survival mode that allows us to anticipate the move of that individual. So now what we adopt is their thoughts but their thoughts are projected towards us. We also adopt their speech, but their speech is projected towards us. And then their behaviors, whether that's a slap, a hit, whatever it is, but it's being projected towards us. So what we're adopting in these moments when we're harmed is we are actually adopting the perspective of this person who we we could call liar, thief, and killer. Of Spirit and so what we're doing is we're at- Adopting their frame and their perception towards us So when we forgive what we're seeing is an image of ourselves that we've adopted from another This is what we call survival when we look at the other person experience the other person We automatically either move out of the way some of us freeze some of us fight That is the false self. The false self is consumed with, how do I gain power? How do I gain esteem? How do I gain security? So we cope as we try to maneuver around this individual. And what we do is we create a false image of ourselves. So some of us become very boisterous. Oh, yeah, you want to try and insult me? I'll fight you. Some of us freeze, like, oh, my God, somebody looks like that person that has harmed me before. I can't possibly move. Right. And so some of us then get trapped in these images of ourselves that are really projection of what the other person had has told us. So every time we forgive, what we're doing is we're seeing a component of the false self. The false self is the one who wants to avoid harm and survive. But is now using some coping mechanisms, which are really an entrapment in how the other person has told us who we are, what we are and what we do. And so as we do the forgiveness, what we're doing is we're seeing the pattern, the beliefs, the thoughts towards ourselves that are really coming from another source, other than that godly source that says, you are good, you are good enough, you are worthy of love
0: what would what would life look like for someone who has not forgiven someone you know i i can i can think of some people i have encountered yeah. uh, just throughout my lifetime who who have who are still holding on to the past in particular people who i who mm-hmm. i may have gone on on dates with and yes. kind of like what you just mentioned that they might see something and they attach it to
1: yeah.
0: uh, something that they've seen in the past. And they think that it, that there's a correlation when really there isn't They they just really have not let go. Right. What would someone, what, what, would, what would there be, what, what are some, some symptoms or what are some signs of, How would I know that there's some things in my past that I need to let go or what are some some things that you've seen that you've, you could tell that, yeah, this person needs to let something go of their past.
1: Yes. So if you are in a place where you're constantly fighting, you need to let go of some stuff, right? Because each person that we encounter um, is going to help us overcome something from the past uh, by reminding us of the past. So if you find yourself constantly reacting to others, whether it's in being afraid of them and fear doesn't look like running away, fear can look like fighting, fear can look like freezing. So if you find yourself, you know, being in that position where you're fighting, where you're frozen or, you know, where you're just wanting to run and you're running and you're fighting and you're freezing look a variety of ways. So for example, you could be at work. And somebody comes up and they say something to you and all of a sudden you're off, right? You're, you've are you been triggered. Uh, the person has said something that has brought you back to an earlier point in time, but you think you're talking about what the person has just said right now. But you might be feeling judged. You might be feeling criticized. You might be feeling as though this person has taken a position that they shouldn't have and you're willing to fight about it. You might also notice yourself being in a place where somebody says something to you and you absolutely shut down. That is, you cannot respond. Uh, You might actually have bodily responses like sweating, turning red and that sort of thing because of something that person has said that has just caused you to go into that freezing moment. Now, then you might have the person who is altogether aware they are reacting but they don't know what they're reacting to a good place to be. Because you're now going to start to remember, you're going to start tracking and going backwards to the fact that, okay, this emotion didn't just start here with this person in in 2020. This emotion was first triggered when I encountered a particular moment when I was five. So I need to go back to that moment, I need to see it from all of those perspectives, like the perspective that I was just talking about, I need to see all the elements that would trigger me from that moment that connect to right now and as we go back and we forgive that earlier moment the intensity of the responses that we have in the present moment will be completely reduced and eventually as you forgive all the layers that are connected with the false self like for example the color of the room when you were five where this painful moment happened. The people who were there, it's not just what was said or what was done, but it's every item in that room that matters. And as soon as you see it in the present moment, it will trigger you. But it's an opportunity for you to go back and forgive yet another layer of what has happened.
0: Now, how, what, what process or how do you forgive someone when they're not sorry, when they're not apologetic, when they're um, you know in particular um, when we're talking about toxic relationships, you know people who are narcissistic and yeah. just um, just um, they're, they're not they're not sorry one bit for the abuse and yeah. have no intent on correcting things, how do you forgive someone who isn't sorry
1: so the forgiveness is about them, but it's really not about them. The forgiveness is about you. Um, And the forgiveness is about releasing some of the negative coping kind of statuses um, that you've been kind of stuck in, that you've been stuck in um, that really need to be released. So it's hard to forgive somebody when they're in complete denial of the consequence of their actions. So think of the person who enters a relationship with you just to basically control you. Uh, suck you in, uh, take your money, and then disappear. Imagine that kind of person. Or imagine the person that comes in, really kind of manipulates you to make you think that they really love you. And then after a while, it just turns into that control, which then eventually turns into physical, emotional, or even sexual violence. How do you forgive a person like that, uh, when they are completely in denial about what they have done, the impact that they have had, and even just how they have shifted your life and taken you off track in a way that like no other. And the answer to that is they have nothing to do with your forgiveness. The forgiveness is about you because they have, through the process of encountering you, engaging with you, they've been telling you a lie about yourself that you need to see and you need to undo. So for example, a lot of people get stuck, they become unproductive, because they have encountered somebody who is toxic. And the reason why they get stuck is because they cannot release some of the messages that have been given to them. So when I work with an individual, we are working in front of a mirror because i'm activating those mirror neurons i want you to see you as you do your forgiveness because that's what this forgiveness is about it's about the lies that you've believed about yourself and the undoing of those lies and making a decision never re- to repeat this pattern of engaging with dangerous unsafe people again do
0: you see and do you see a noticeable difference between men forgiving and women forgiving
1: you know what I have seen that men forgive much much easier than women Um,
0: really yeah there's
1: a willingness to forgive I think for men also they don't um, we all have wounds so there's no denial of that but I think men sit in a place where there isn't uh, the sensitivity that women might have. Um, And I'm not sure if it's because of the type of like experiences that we have encountered, but what I have experienced is this, that when I have a man and a woman in front of me and I ask the man to forgive, he will willingly move through the process to create some peace. The woman wants to feel like, You are sorry, you are repentant, you are doing the right thing to like make this all right. Um, The woman wants action before she's willing to kind of get to that place where there is Peace within her, and so I, sometimes I have to move through the process of saying, "Okay, this is not about him. This is about you." And the experiences that you are really blaming him for have nothing to do with him, but are earlier than him. And so at that point, uh, the women will forgive. But here's the other oddity that I have noticed, and I call it an oddity because it's something that I've observed and I can't yet quite. Um, quite explain the women come first so they will come and they will engage me in a dialogue about therapy and and forgiveness first but it's the willingness once they are here with me and the uh, ability to let go that is somewhat different the man will take a really long time to come see me but he will release it like immediately the woman will come but then the layers, the sensitivities will take a longer time for her to release.
0: And we've talked a lot about um, forgiving those and basically the um, in a romantic relationship. But in your book, your your forgiveness actually started with your mother. And I and I have a lot of I have a lot of um, clients and a lot of listeners who struggle with um, Toxic mothers, narcissistic mothers, you know, and could possibly be struggling with forgiving, you know, a mother or even a father, I think that there's, I think there's a lot to be said. And I think that I can imagine that it's even more difficult to forgive those who were supposed to be our caretakers. Um, Can you speak to speak to that at all, Um, even, you know, from experience, clinical experience or from your own personal experience? Yeah.
1: So, you know, in my book, 490, Forgiven, Live Fearlessly, um, I take my own life journey to really teach people about the forgiveness process and why forgiveness process is so important, how it actually releases us. And the place where I begin Because I think that's where most of us, you know, need to go. We need to go to our childhood. Um, And the place where I began was when my mother actually left uh, myself and my siblings in Jamaica to migrate to Canada. And, you know, it's not that that departure was in any way traumatic as we would think about it. Um, So it wasn't like, you know, one day she was here and then, well, obviously one day she was here and obviously one day she was gone, but she left us in the care of a really loving grandmother. If we were older children, I was three, Um, She would have explained all of that, but it wasn't possible for me to understand. So I want folks to know that our traumatic experiences are not about how the event occurs, but it's more about how we respond to the event. So as the leaving of a parent leads to disconnection, it leads to feelings of like... um, just feeling like we've been left behind and abandoned. And so those are the things that I had to release as I move through my forgiveness. So in the book, I teach um, that we forgive and using a seven step process. The first part of the process is just asking ourselves a series of questions. The last part of the process is making a few declarations first part of the process is really asking the question what do I want and what do I get instead and then how do I feel about it and why why did the person act this way so we can all kind of understand why people would migrate and you know that's connected to economic status and just wanting to make a better life I've understood all of that all of my life but the sense of being neglected, being abandoned, being disconnected, those are the feelings that connected to my false self. And so I had to relinquish all of that and then see how a pattern of leaving had kind of come into my life. Now, to get to a more toxic event, eventually I joined my mother in Canada. But what I encounter is a mother who is stressed out uh, and who physically and emotionally then traumatizes me. And so then I have to move to yet another layer of forgiving behaviors that are, you know, physical violations, emotional violations, and instead wanting a mother who is loving and accepting, and all of those things. But again, we build a false self, because the false self helps that. So, in my survival mode, as I was encountering other people that would remind me of my mother, I would often experience abandonment. And then I would also experience an emotional kind of violation, never a physical violation, but an emotional type of violation. Now, in my forgiveness, I had to release the false coping patterns that were connected to that. And then in process, retoxifying not only that relationship, but every other relationship that I had.
0: Wow, wow, that's very powerful. Um, Before I I let you go, um, tell us a little bit more about some of the, you and I are working on a couple of different projects together. Um, We've worked on some projects in the past. Tell us a little bit about the um, COVID response project and some of the other things that you yeah, have for
1: So the COVID response, um, we've called it for now, the courageous response to COVID-19. Um, and this is a group of um, mental health care providers, professionals. Uh, we've got two nurses, including myself on the team, yourself, uh, Andrew Blackwood, who is a coach uh, and also psychotherapist. And Denise um, Denise Bess who is also a psychotherapist out of Illinois, and we are really just um, coming to a place of recognizing the mental health challenges that will be a consequence of COVID nineteen, recognizing the fears and the anxieties that you know develop in these moments, and just trying to provide a voice of calm. Uh, we are also a- a panel of black therapists. And so we're hoping to provide a voice that can also speak to uh, the African, um, the African descendants, and uh, those we would call members of the diaspora and just bring a voice from our perspective to those who might listen to us. In addition to that, um, I wrote 490, Forgive and Live Fearlessly about a year ago and most recently published another book, which is called Becoming, Journey to Love. And this is a book where 12 women uh, tell their stories about how they've basically moved from that place of struggling uh, emotionally to that place of just being in a a state of peace, uh, what I call inner peace. But then also um, moving through a transformation that they describe for those who would read the book.
0: Awesome. And where could where can my listeners uh, find you if they want to find more information or would like to? Yeah, you?
1: Um, I am at uh, so DrJoan.ca. So D R J O A N.ca. I have just started a not-for-profit. It's called. Um, the Canadian Council for World Peace. You can find me on Instagram at worldpeace2021. And uh, that organization is also on Facebook, um, again, at worldpeace2021.
0: Dr. Joan, it is always a pleasure. Thank you for hopping on with us. This was very informational. We're going to have to do this again because, um, I mean, we can always, I think you and I can talk for for hours and I think that there's, you're right, there's always, there's always something new every time we talk. I think I've learned, um, I think I've learned, even though we've talked multiple times, I think I've learned even more uh, just this just in this half hour. So, we will do this again soon. Thank you very much for uh, for hopping on. You're more
1: than welcome. And uh, just uh, remain safe and happy, everyone.
0: All right, you too. Bye. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you could fly,
1: baby. Show the world you could fly, fly. Show the world you can fly, baby. Dream big, keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Này. Show the world you can fly, yeah. Show the world you can fly. Dream big, keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the worry you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly. Show the world you fly. Dream big, keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Shouldn't worry, you can fly yeah. Shouldn't worry, you can fly Dream big, now that's told me dream big It's how we take